Hi, my name is Luis Palomeras. Welcome to Indoor Health Podcast. Today we have Andres Pachel. Uh, He's a physiologist and, well, at this point, a great friend of mine. <laughs> awesome. Well, why this conversation with him, he kind of like restored my faith in content creation, the pursuit of communicating fitness and health for everybody. All of you know me as, uh, you know, former husband of a fitness icon. This podcast is powered by Biostrap, the most clinically validated wearable device, health and sleep tracker. With Biostrap, you can count on research-grade biometric analysis to make the best evidence-based decisions unique to you regarding all things health and fitness. I wear my Biostrap every day. Their HIPAA-compliant platform allows me to monitor exactly how my physiology responds to all of the lifestyle habits, wellness protocols, and biohacks I implement in my daily routine. And through their advanced remote monitoring platform, I get to see the same for the people I follow in-app. No matter where my clients, closest friends, or family members are in the world, I can see exactly how their physiology is responding to all my advice, recommendations, and everything else that I learn through the awesome guests I get to host on this podcast. It's the ultimate tool for getting to know your physio. For the nerds, aka most of you guys, here is a scientific breakdown of the device that you can surely appreciate. So raw waveform data enables in-depth analysis of your health using powerful cloud-based algorithms. Proprietary red and infrared optimal sensors capture high signal-to-noise and high-resolution photoplethysmography or PPG measurements from deep beneath the skin up to 10 times deeper than green light to extract reliable biometrics. The proprietary pulse engine assesses each pulse wave versus 29 unique parameters to provide processed data with the highest data integrity and reliability. And trending nocturnal biometric data provides the ultimate insight into positive or maladaptive physiological changes. Data integrity is of the utmost importance when relied upon for risk stratification, data-driven decision-making, and progress monitoring. Biostrap is referenced in 14 publications and 22 clinical studies validating biometric measurements against gold standard medical diagnostic equipment and applied use cases for specific medical conditions. When it comes to your personal health, fitness, and performance, it counts to interpret and apply only the most reliable evidence-based data unique to you. That's why I choose Biostrap and why I recommend it invariably to all my friends, family, clients, fans, and followers who are curious about their biometric data as they get to know their physio. So you can go to biostrap.com and use code UNDRESS10 to get 10% off your entire order. That's biostrap.com, B-I-O-S-T-R-A-P.com and use code UNDRESS10, A-N-D-R-E-S and the number 10 to get 10% off your entire order. One more time, that's biostrap.com, B-I-O-S-T-R-A-P.com, code Andres10 for 10% off your entire order. Hope you guys enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. You know, during those six years of creating content and all that Instagram world, you know, I lost all my interest in participating in content creation. And through looking at him and his health approach and how he was communicating his fitness journey, I regained my interest in 
doing all these thing together again. You need to give all that credit, really? Yeah, you know, I, I saw like a, you know, from the fitness side of the Instagram and social media world that I come from, I come from that nonsensical pursuit of macho man. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, if I'm gonna produce content, I cannot be that guy. Yeah. Like, this is not the way. And, you know, I felt somewhat lonely thinking in the idea like, okay, I'm gonna just show up here and talking about spirituality and like just not making, because if you see the fitness approach of content creation in people in our age, it's all about themselves. It's all about, ah, look at my pets, look at my abs, look at me, me, me. I was like, that, that's not for me. I didn't have a reference that, you know, I was like, oh, I can do something like that. And when I started following him, I was like, I can do something like that. Like, <laughs> he's authentic and he's not trying to show himself as better than anyone else. He's just like sharing his genuine curiosity. And I was like, I am curious like that. Thank you. Well, it's, it's an honor for me, and I'll tell you that I think that as men, I think a lot of men, their kryptonite is this like denial of vulnerability, and I think that it's up to us to be vulnerable and have that sort of courage. It might be vulnerable, it is, is, courage. is having courage. So, yeah, way, show people your vulnerability and discuss it, talk about it, make content with it, and that to me is... That's a real much. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, it feels natural. It feels good because it's a genuine reflection of who you are. You know that giving people the impression that you're this super strong, always buff, and yeah, that's you know that's important. But uh, I don't know. know. But uh, like, like, the spiritual side of you that I've gotten to know, the yoga side of you, the self reflection that to me speaks volumes in a, yeah. in a way that no amount of muscle, no amount of strength ever will. And it really helps make a good human connection between you and I and between you and your audience. Yeah, and I was so inspired that. by your material. And so it's an honor for me to have been able to play that role. Well, <laughs> I know about now. I can't even like, God, now, now it's our conversation. Let's do it. So we were just discussing biometrics. Biometrics can get in your head. Yeah. And it's interesting because I will make decisions based on my biometrics every single day you know, for months, I think now actually a couple of years, I will take my morning readings, look at my nocturnal HRV, my SpO2, my resting heart rate, my deep sleep stages, my sleep latency, all the biometrics that I can get off of the biostrap. And from there, I make decisions about whether or not I'm going to engage in these like hormetic stressors. So like if I'm going to fast or not, how long am I, I'm going to fast, if I'm going to do high intensity training, weightlifting, cold exposure, heat exposure, Again, based off my HRV and previously, before I started tracking my biometrics, it'd be a lot more regimented. And I'm always looking to optimize, right? You know, with my background in physiology, I'm always looking to see what I can optimize, what can work a little better, how I can improve recovery, how I can improve performance, how I can do more, achieve more, you know, so on and so forth. And so once I got the chance to track my biometrics and see these kinds of things and how they influence that body every single day, it was a completely different regimen. So, in fact, there was a recent study published like last week that compares like HIIT training on high HRV days versus regimented days. And they find that there's similar results but with less effort 
If you train mm-hmm. on high HRV days, you get better results doing less. You can do a lot more with less. And so one topic that I want to examine with you is how mastering recovery needs to come first in order to maximize our performance, not the other way around, right? So athletes like yourself are always looking to take that next step, push further, achieve more, shorten their race times, etc. But you know, that won't come until you've mastered the recovery. Yeah. So if we can begin with your race experience, if we can take it back to the training before your first, you know, Ironman, this is your first Ironman ever. The first full distance. I've done uh, uh, five, uh, 70.3 already. Okay. So if you can take us back to the training, to the recovery, and of course, all of the incredible experience that you've had the chance to reflect on as you were training, you yeah. know, in your personal life, how did that influence your recovery? Do you think it influenced your recovery to begin with? Well, yeah. The most important lesson and everything that I learned through Ironman and recovery, that everything that I was affecting my recovery was all related to mental health. I was dealing with really high levels of anxiety, um, you know, swinging of emotions. So I never had problems neither like yeah for a really long time until a doctor stopped me i was just training on really poor sleep like i had no problems taking pain but i wasn't making any progress like my speed per mile was the same like my perception of effort it was only getting worse so when i spoke to a friend of mine a doctor that she opened my eyes a physiologist too she made me you know Take a blood drawn, a whole, you know, testing. And well, she sat me down and like, son, you're going to kill yourself if you keep this train going. Was it like, like a C-reactive protein? Was it a calcium score test? Do you uh, know what you to determine that? My inflammation markers were... So probably CRP, C-reactive Yeah, they protein. were all in the extreme red. Yeah. In that moment, yeah, I was sleeping an average of three hours and a half a night and poor sleep. Is that the time that you were in bed or what actually logged as sleep? Logged as sleep. Okay. Time in bed, it was like five to six hours. Right. That was the beginning. That was the beginning of my journey on Ironman. And I realized like, okay, I have no problems uh, putting the effort of training, but I should be getting more out of my training. Like, And that's where I start educating myself on recovery and I start, you know, following you that's how i kind of like i got to you i think it was instagram who recommended me your account after following andrew huberman that to me is an honor wow, yeah that's, 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 a that, that's an algorithm <laughs> algorithm that's, compliment wow, yeah. wow wow and well i saw that you, you were from miami venezolano bueno, venezolano yeah that we share a lot of the same interests um you know biking weightlifting yeah, yeah all things sports yoga and the occasional astrology reading <laughs> and you know that's how uh, this friendship this collab took place there we go there we go Love yeah it. amazing well but yeah i started dealing with uh, thinking on recovery and it's like okay oh luis wow you're a really anxious person like yeah because i was getting off the bike or getting off the run and i was like still stressed out i wasn't you know switching to parasympathetic in any type of way in any moment of the day i was always on fight or flight well um, in the journey from day one of triathlon like when i took the bike to the completion of the full ironman what 
three ceremonies of ayahuasca took place, one Buffalo Barrios experience took place, ton of, you know, therapy, coaching, mindfulness training. And little by little, my sleep started improving. I got, during that time, I was wearing whoop that he is going to, you know, let us know why is not the best option. <laughs> but whoop did help me in, in a moment, at least to track my sleep. Yeah. And I was like, and to understand, because I started like playing with my head, like do not open whoop until after your workout. Yeah. Because what you were saying, it gets in your head. Yeah. And in my case, I was justifying poor performance because uh, I didn't like this shit is in, in yellow. Nah. Yeah. And so I decided, you know, that do not open it until you finish your workouts. But still, I was like, oh, justifying poor performance and being okay with it. But no, nah, that wasn't for me. <laughs> There's a fine line between knowing your biometrics and just completely omitting them so that you can just go on and carry about your training session, right? As an athlete in particular. But if we can, before we get there, one thing that I want to outline is, you know, what kind of self-reflection, like the reflection that you were able to achieve through these psychedelic ceremonies, what was one of the main themes that drove you to pursue recovery in a different way? Did you all of a sudden see, for example, that this evidence of overtraining and did it start to come out paint that picture that you needed absolutely to recover it in order to be the best? Yeah. Your best athletic performance? Did it maybe did it bring back any previous traumas that you think forced you to be this kind of like type A individual or personality yeah. that was like nonstop training? What was it about the ceremonies well, that? Something that I attached to recovery besides the ceremonies, are those ceremonies help me reflect on myself like in leaps of years of understanding my inner processes. However, something that I, besides uh, having the biometric readings and being mindful of recovery, what helped me a lot was journaling. Because I started going back and like, oh, the day I slept good was easy to stay on my diet. I didn't sleep well and I was eating like a pig around. And, you know, having those paper proof of like in good sleep is the key of, you know, flowing effortless through the day. And that was what drove me to the ceremonies in the first place. Like, okay, I need to sleep well and I'm not sleeping well because my mind doesn't shut up. So you saw these themes that you were tracking and that awareness drove you to the psychedelic ceremonies. Yeah. Not, not the other way around. It wasn't like you had psychedelic ceremonies and now you're suddenly more aware of the themes that may or may not contribute to your... It was the pursuit of a good night's sleep. Pursuit of... That's a, why you did it. That's why I started researching... Well, I did psychedelic ceremonies. I got, you know, yeah, mindset coach, everything like... The pursuit of a good night's sleep <laughs> took me to fix everything okay. under my okay. psychology, okay. spirit... Absolutely everything, because I became obsessed on being at peace with myself. Like, okay, I want to do an Ironman, but if I don't recover, it's not happening. Yeah. Because I started to, you know, having pains everywhere, frustration with not recovering. I bombed on a couple of uh, 70.3 distances, and I was like, okay, I cannot keep doing this to myself of just, you know, showing up to, to races to just, you know, have poor performance. And the pursuit of a good recovery drove me to, wow. you know, heal even generational trauma. <laughs> wow. And what were some of the biggest takeaways from those sessions beyond maybe highlighting the importance of sleep? Oh, the, you know, of the ceremonies. 
Yeah, like when you were able to step away, because I know that those ceremonies, it's not like in the moment you're all, you, all of a sudden you know the answers. Like it takes time to reflect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What were some of the things that you took away from each individual ceremony that really helped propel you? Well, to each ceremony, I went to with you know with a clear intention to work something that, for example, there was a time in my life that I was a very violent man. Violent in the way I express myself, in the way I address my relationships, and I wanted to understand what the fuck. Like in an ayahuasca ceremony, I went with that intention. I want to know why am I being so violent. Um, ayahuasca took me to like a you know a movie of my life, and it shows me in coming back from kindergarten home, and I'm coming back beat up, and my mother. Is there to greet me? You were uh, in a fight or some kind of? No, no, no. A kid, a kid in kindergarten. Yeah, I came back from a fight. Uh, I, you know, uh, I don't remember why the fight, but I came back beat up. And my mother tells me like, if you come back beat up again, I'm gonna beat you harder for you to be a man. And, you know, wow. stand your ground. So in that ceremony, I'm watching from a like part, a third perspective, like a third perspective, like you are watching a movie, right? And in that movie that you're watching, it's like you are sitting with like the higher self version of you that understands what's going on. You know, in that moment, it came also the instant understanding that also my mom was raised by, you know, an Arabic family and what she knew, she didn't knew any better. And instantly it flooded me with compassion for my mother, like instant forgiveness. Like it showed me that I was using violence as a tool to attain love and you were being positively reinforced for your yeah. feelings yeah so if i'm getting this right you were in a situation where you had the chance to reflect so you're exactly. watching like a movie but you're sitting next to the higher version of yourself actually taking away the wisdom from that event exactly and the version of yourself that currently understands the way things are and then you're studying that sort of difference and taking away the lessons from it towards your real self for the future yeah yeah. Okay. And of course, in the integration process, like, it's not enough to understand, like, oh, well, yeah, I forgive my mother. Like, you get the compassion of it. You understand that for a while, violence was a mechanism to get, you know, love from my mother and to get respect uh, in my house. But, you know, to still, uh, you know, weed out the behavior that that's a maladaptation of a stress response. Yeah. And then all the work that I had to do to yeah, weed out the bad behavior and, you know, to change the way I was talking inside my head, that's not providing ayahuasca. That's the integration process. And that's why it's so valuable to do all these ceremonies accompanied with, you know, a proper mental health professional that, you know, can help you integrate and, yeah, to really honor the message the medicine gave you because it's not enough to just understanding why things are if you cannot make an action upon right. your understanding. But if you went into that with, with that intention to understand, I mean, that that's critical to change that behavior. If you know that there's a problem, you have to understand why does a problem even exist to begin with from there dissecting it. But then that can be something so profound, so emotional that it takes weeks, even months to, to yeah, integrate. Yeah. And the thing you mentioned, like the stress response, I mean, there's a very strong positive correlation between having this sort of very reactive personality, being violent, being very much like a type A sort of like, you know, ready to break out and, yeah. and not addressing trauma properly, right? A lot of people have this sort of 
chronic stress that they deal with. And a lot of it occurs under the circumstance of modern day living, you know, yeah. pursuing a career that we hate and going to working a nine to five and doing the same thing over and over again, not really pursuing something that's true to ourselves. There's a number of reasons why, but unless we don't address those previous traumas, we never really get to pursue the versions of ourselves that's completely optimized, that's high performing, yeah. and that has a complete in-depth understanding of you know our being and our essence. And so what I want to understand now is as that integration took place, how did you see that reflecting your training? Well, and, and when, especially, and when especially the, that, the, that was it. Especially the violence. The violence was very useful to lift weight. Right. Like you need to be uh, like to push heavy weight is violence. I know a lot of gym bros that are jacked and they hate everybody. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's their escape but and they to, have to get yeah. to do that shit. It's, it's violence. It's just, it is. Yeah. but violence versus ultra endurance. Yeah. It's, it's two completely different things. It was a completely different thing. And even that took me to study the difference between anaerobic and aerobic athletes and seeing how anaerobic athletes are dopamine powered versus endurance athletes that are serotonin powered. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you need to spend about five hours on the bike. Then you're going to do a marathon that is going to take you a minimum of five hours. Violence is useless here. Like I cannot short fuse these. uh, No, it's so interesting that you mentioned the neurotransmitter perspective. And if we can quickly dive into that, it's like for people that are tuning in and aren't familiar Dopamine is like the molecule of more and it's like a motivation pathway. Yeah. So it's like when you go to the gym, you do, Cocaine, a heavy, amigos. you do a heavy lift in the gym, you get a high five from your bro. It's like a very, that environment. And, and again, even with men, men are more designed to work around this sort of dopaminergic pathway. Whereas women need more like oxytocin to be focused and be productive. Yeah. But a lot of our work environments are designed for men in that it's like, you do a good job, you get a raise, you get a high five. It's all dopamine. But with endurance, it's you're in the zone. It's like you're in that zone and you have, and this is something that Andrew Huberman speaks about a lot. It's like your perception of time changes as well. You yeah. Know, when you do that five hour race, it doesn't feel like it's five hours. It, oh, it feels like a whole day yeah, in there. <laughs> yeah. But that's that focus that you maintain is a lot more based on that serotonin sort of pathway. And so, and even if you take it from, you know, substrate utilization perspective in the muscle fiber, it's like as a violent lifter, it's all creatine based. It's like, Mm. creatine is a lot of power in a short duration, 15 seconds or so. You can go all out, but then you need to take a break of three to five minutes to replenish enough ATP and creatine phosphate to pursue the next session with a high power output. Whereas endurance, beta oxidation of fat, you're in this prolonged fat burning state. You're not really using creatine. You're not even taking breaks, right? You're in this serotonin, super focused in the zone. Yeah. And so there's a completely different physiology on both ends of the spectrum. So you being a violent person, <laughs> so to speak, so to yeah. speak, how did you manage to integrate and finally respect the difference and the underlying physiology to pursue that at a high performance <laughs> level? Well, that took me to learn breath work. In my studies of breath, I came to the conclusion that regardless of how I felt, the key was staying always nasal in breathing. nasal breathing. And that was my way to cap the violence in me. Like... If I start exhaling through the yeah. mouth, you are going to heart. Yeah. And that's what I use as a benchmark. Better than, you know, heart rate monitor, better than yeah. watts, better than anything. Because that's- at the end, what I learned the most out of the nasal breathing journey, it's the most accurate marker for how your health is that day. Yeah. Like yeah. if you start gassing out in 
a what range that is not yours or like even if it's more humid and you don't realize that morning, the breath will tell you quickly where you're at. So considering the kind of the expectation during, you know, a, a, an endurance performance interval, let's say, when you do, when you nasal breathe, you're assuming optimal performance because of what's happening underneath the surface. And again, if we can discuss this for the people tuning in who aren't familiar with some of the underlying science, Actually, I had my last podcast guest was Patrick McKeown. He's the oh. author of The Oxygen Advantage. Yeah, of course. And there's a few different mechanisms by which nasal breathing helps with, you know, establishing a more parasympathetic state, especially for endurance athletes. You know, first of all, when you breathe through your nose, you're better humidifying the air and you're filtering the air better as well. But you're also using your diaphragm to breathe more versus the upper chest. Automatically, yeah. that stimulates the vagus nerve. So you're in a more parasympathetic state. And there's this increased production in nitric oxide, a very potent vasodilator. It dilates your airway, dilates your blood vessels. Now you have better oxygenation, better breathing. You're calmer. Mouth breathing automatically puts you in a more sympathetic state. Yeah. Mouth breathing is emergency breathing. So it's like whenever you, like from an evolutionary perspective, the only reason we had to mouth breathe is to like run away from some kind of danger. Yeah. Because the quickest, it's the quickest way to breathe, but it, we're not designed to mouth breathe. We're designed to, nas to, to, to nasal breathe and to take, this is something that um, Patrick highlighted in the podcast. He said, a lot of people that think they know breath work, they think that when they need to relax, they take one big, like deep breath. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, no. It has to be super slow, shallow, very smooth, and even pausing between the inhale and the exhale holding your breath slightly in between the two because it produces a cardio-inhibitory effect or your heart rate automatically slows down as the CO2 levels in your blood build up. So there's a number of mechanisms. And what's interesting to highlight here in your case is that automatically as an endurance athlete, when you're nasal breathing, you know that you're at a certain intensity where your body's working yeah. optimally to carry you through that cadence. So this was a shift that happened after the ayahuasca, after the psychedelic. Yeah, that was, a, yeah, th th that was me seeking what to do with the violence because okay. yeah learning how to pace myself for long distance was was challenging because yeah. my prior uh, experience as an athlete only lifting weights and uh of the whole bodybuilding journey and yeah didn't program me the best for uh long distance um and well, but nowadays I value so much what I learn actually around breathing for this distance. I don't see myself uh, training, you know, seeking the anaerobic rush of uh, sprinting anymore. Yeah. Like I'm going to keep pursuing yeah. distance. Yeah. And I'll tell you that to reflect on my personal experience, because cycling is something that's very new to me. I want to highlight the following effect. And it's that traditionally I was also a weightlifter. You know, I did bodybuilding and weightlifting and all kinds of weighted interval training, high intensity training, all that. And when I started cycling, I was very humbled by the sport because <laughs> it taught me that going fast would only work against me because when you do these group rides that are intended to me, the best thing with the group rides is you're with people, you're motivating each yeah. other, you're working together, and you're also a lot safer on the road. And doing these sprints work against me. Like I'd start pulling the peloton and I start doing a sprint burn away at the creatine and phosphate and then, and then I get dropped. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so it reinforces everything around endurance training and the group sort of setting. And to me, it just showed me how the different fuels and every athlete is built so differently. 
And you need to have a careful consideration towards your unique physiology to approach performance in these varying settings, each one in its own unique yeah. way. So it's fascinating how you're able to make that transition and prepare your mental health to pursue this sport. Yeah. So it's like you're able to feed people say kill two birds with one stone. Someone recently taught me it's uh, feed two birds with one loaf. It's a little, okay. it's not as, it's as violent, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, to make the point that you were able to address the mental health and your performance during the race simultaneously yeah. and they work together in a way. So that's what fascinates me about your journey is that when I pick up my phone and I see, because now our algorithm favors our relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. So I see your stories pop up and I love seeing the way that you approach lifestyle. And I love to see the way that, that reflects in your training. How long did it take you to sort of bridge that gap? So everything that you just described from the moment that you were aware of these underlying mechanisms to the point where now you seem to have a lifestyle that's consistent both in your, the way you live and the way that you train. Yeah. How long did that transition take to establish approximately? Oh, and, well, and, and not to say that, that you're there. I mean, everyone's, you know, we're no, it's, to improve it's, it's and, a whole, yeah. yeah. Every day it's, there's work to do to this. But, you but know, how long did that take approximately? It's been two years. Let's say wow. from my rock bottom, rock bottom was two, two years ago. Well, to explain what took me to rock bottom, a whole usage of steroids in the bodybuilding era of mine when I was uh, interested on it. When ceremony one of ayahuasca, I went in and absolutely nothing happened. Just one repetitive thought on my head, like, you know, stop poisoning your body. Stop poisoning with, with, your with body. The, with the drugs. The yeah, with the anabolics I was taking back then. Really? What were you taking? If you don't have Testosterone in the form of anethat, equipoise, occasional trend, anabar here and there. But at the moment I, w I went in ayahuasca, I was only on test. Okay. But, you know, in those cycles that we used to do, those were the usual suspects. <laughs> right. Anyway, in ceremony one, that's the only thing that happened. No mm -hmm. trip, no nothing. Just my mind started really? like, stop poisoning your body, stop wow. poisoning your body, stop wow. poisoning your body. I did that. Well, which that took me to a whole other trip of the health journey because I'm a Gemini. And I I'm deal, a Gemini too. Oh, well. No. <laughs> there we go. I deal, I, I deal in absolutes like Thanos. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, no drugs, no drugs at all. And yeah. I just stop it all. And well, balancing your yeah. hormones after that drug usage. When's your birthday? June 3rd. Shut the fuck up. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Are you too? serious? Yeah. My birthday is June 3rd, man. No way. Get out of here. And you're exactly 10 years older than me. Weird. <laughs> You're exactly 10 years older than me. Exactly. That's unbelievable. What a nice discovery here on the show. Interesting. <laughs> wow. Very interesting. Yeah, I just stopped using drugs and I showed up myself for my second ceremony of ayahuasca three months later and after a week of fast. I wow. went fucking... A week of fasting. Yeah, wow. Went had super you, had clean. you taken a week of fasting ever you know, previous to that? Before that, I only have done 24 hours. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. But I know I went for the 24 in hour 48. All hunger it has disappear, gone, yeah, it disappeared. You're, you're in deep ketosis. Yeah. And uh, honestly, when I ate, well, I ate ayahuasca. Yeah. That was my uh, breakfast. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> but I honestly, I was already like scared. Like I'm scared of how energetic I feel, how great I feel. Like, I think I could go on and on with this fasting fast, thing. Yeah. And 
I remember being slightly scared, like, no, don't think about that. You yeah. need to eat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's it's interesting. Once you get to the point where you fasted that long, it's just like the strange thing is even if you introduce food, you have to be careful about how much food you introduce and what amounts and what your hydration status is because a lot of people think, hey, I fasted this long. I need to automatically have this huge meal and that can actually be super, super, yeah. super unhealthy. So interesting. How did you then eat after the ayahuasca well the, and were you hydrating during that week long water and in noon okay um yeah i did in the intake electrolytes i even went out for jogs uh three days out of the week really yeah wow. just wow. replenishing electrolytes okay and so now if you can take us through after the performance event after the iron man how did everything sort of did you have like a moment of like integration so to speak did everything sort of come together like were you satisfied with your performance with all oh, yeah. you learned and, and how did you integrate that experience now like if you if you had a moment to sort of look back and oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. well iron man completely transformed my life will always be forever grateful to myself to you know stepping into that sport with some sort of like a college for life a college of how to be human <laughs> because yeah, it was a great transition, honestly, into being permanent adolescent in the way I was behaving through life into what I now consider a real man. So it sort of was the ultimate critical point for integration, so to speak. Like you were like able to reflect on the training and the mindset shift, actually pursue that event, accomplish the event, and now you consider yourself a man. Yeah. Because now you've been able to take these demons, these lessons that you had sort of regressed in childhood, traumas, and you left them there. So you had to dig these things up, examine them, learn from them, allow them to push you for your training, and then you accomplished yeah. what you set to accomplish. Well, that was a really beautiful moment for me after accomplishing the Iron Man because I burned my journal. Mm -hmm. Like every I saw that. I yeah. Saw that. All the fucking demons that I was dealing with, everything, like, and it felt so liberating. Like, oh. I think that was like the cherry on my pie of integration of the nice. journey. Yeah. It felt truly liberating. And uh, yeah, reflecting back on the two years of changes is... Uh, the journal had entries for over the course of two years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, of course I gave it a read after burning it. It was so interesting to see my skepticism in everything that I was doing. I'm a skeptical for nature. Yeah. Like. Yeah which is what drove me to seek so much information and, you know, seek so much knowledge around. Yeah. Well, you took a, even though you're, there was a very spiritual approach that you took, it was very scientific in a lot of ways, as we just examined. And I think that as a good scientist, any good scientist is always skeptical. Yeah. And so how do you think your skepticism changed following the burning of the journal? Now I know that I will always try something with an open heart, no matter what. Like, that's something that I take away from Iron Man, from all the psychedelic experiences, from even yoga, which was something that I did through the Iron Man prep. And now it's, you know, it's became an important part of my life. When I started doing everything that now became so valuable for my life and so positive, when I started doing all that, I had a closed heart, a closed mind, and I was like, just going through the motions, like, what the fuck am I doing? And even despite the poor mindset I had in the beginning, though everything yielded me so much benefit just for showing up. 
now with everything said and done, it's like, okay, how much more joyful life can get if I just start trying things with the open heart already? Mm -hmm. Like, how good life can get if I everything that I, I'm going to start doing from now on, I just shut up everything in my mind. I give it my all, you know, my, all my being, heart, mind, body, give it your all and no hesitation. And how would you define an open heart? No judgment over your performance. An open heart is a fool's heart. Is the heart of the fool, willing to learn, mm -hmm. willing to laugh about the first time I tried to do a handstand. Right. That was something laughable. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I had a, another guest that I had on the show was a pair Bristow and he's a peak performance coach and a voice coach. And one thing that he taught me, what I took away from the podcast, that the number one theme, the number one lesson was with any good performance, you have to leave room for spontaneity because that's where you come alive. That's where you can really be yourself. That's where things are magic. And that's where you have, where you give yourself enough room and compassion to laugh at yourself. Because if you're so critical, if you think that peak performance is about having everything perfect and being super, super critical, then when things go wrong, all you're going to do is judge yourself and the people around you are going to judge you. And it's going to be a terrible performance. Yeah. He says that when he works with people that approach him and they say, hey, you know, we're going to do this training session, but I'm a little nervous. He says, good, you should be nervous. I want you to come alive with the spontaneity. People that are taught early on that they can't be nervous, that they have to be prepared and they never leave themselves that room. And then when they make a mistake, all of a sudden it's a, it's a catastrophic failure. And from there you have a lot of anger, a lot of yeah. judgment, a lot of built up frustration that never gets addressed. And think about how this can carry out and compound throughout someone's life. If they don't have the right approach for having an open heart, being aware, being present in a way. And so you have the same approach, you know, in alignment, so to speak, with your, between the mind, body, spirit, heart, you know, just having a complete sort of openness to the experience is what you're trying to describe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like the thing with the open heart, it also takes uh, for you to step so far back of all your judgment. And that's the moment when you know you are approaching it with the open heart. When up here, the narrative is wild. Like yeah. you're not good enough. You're too fat. Like, ah, ah. Yeah. you name yeah. it. Yeah. Like if you're having a lot of doubts, good sign. Yeah. Move forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also to not fight the emotion. What you were mentioning about the performance coach, that's so valuable. And that's something that I did. It did shift my performance a lot. Accepting how the fuck I felt before showing up. Yeah. Like, well, and that's related to a spiritual teaching we all, I think, we fail to apply, which is wanting to have a positive experience is a negative experience on itself. And wanting to have a positive experience is a negative experience on itself. Because yeah. you set an expectation. Exactly. Okay. If you're expecting that you will show up for training, racing, or whatever, always tiptoe, yeah. you know, peak. Yeah. You're pushing a negative experience there. You know, I will tell you something. Let me share with you. I have a formula for happiness. Okay. I don't know how I managed to uncover this formula, but I apply it every single day, all the time. And I consider myself pretty happy all the time. Yeah. And of course, every day has challenges, but it's worked really well for me. And it's a combination of very high standards, but extremely low expectations. What does that mean? That I'm always striving to be the best. I'm always working hard towards things that motivate me and inspire me and, and hold some kind of meaning. But I don't judge myself if... XYZ circumstance happens. If so, there's no judgment, 
but there's a pursuit towards excellence. Yeah. What that means is that anytime something great happens, even if it's the smallest thing, all of a sudden it's like a surprise. It's like a gift. It's just joy. It's bliss. Well, that's a stoic philosophy. So yeah, I started to get into stoicism and I started to see how this is uh, very consistent with stoic mindset in that there's this like constant pursuit towards, you know, little step by step by step working towards that which creates meaning and then having no judgment towards things that are beyond your control. I think that's very true to stoicism. Yeah, and not get too inflated with your wins and not get too, don't beat yourself too much when things doesn't go your way. Yeah, I think that's Marcus Aurelius, like the remember you're going to die. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Believe it or not, I'll take credit for this before I was introduced to Stoicism, if if I may. But one thing that I'd like to dissect with you is what kind of themes in Stoicism, beyond training for performance for Ironman, what can you take away from your experience and apply towards anyone, no matter what it is they do, if it's even possible? What do you think you can take away from your personal journey, reflection, and things that you've learned uh, and apply to athletes and non-athletes? That the pursuit of morale, it's the path to hell. Hell, hell, hell. The pursuit of morale? Yeah. If you're pursuing morality, you're pursuing a path of hell. Can you elaborate? Because morality, it's individual. It's your... Uh, ideal of how things should be so you are already forcing you're failing to accept things as they are and stoicism when i started transpolating you know the quotes and what i read to my personal life and how i was you know relating to myself and relating to the world is like okay first of all i need to accept who i am so i can define the boundaries of myself and the world and Pursue that morale, pursue that, you know, goodness, excellence. But, you know, pursuing an ideal of how good things should be without, you know, first accepting things as they are, first accepting the world as they are, it's a treacherous path because, you know, you're setting yourself for disappointment. And well, going through divorce, going through a lot of lifestyle changes. The Stoic philosophy helped me, you know, accept things. Because that's also related to teachings of psychedelic journeys with that before changing something, you got to love it first. Like, if you're going to change something out of yourself, out of resentment with yourself, or because you don't like, you don't like yourself, mm, the product of that change is not going to be the highest. So that, that inconsistency will always remain. Yes. Okay. That's something that between a stoic philosophy and psychedelic journeys, I truly drill down on myself. Like first accept yourself, then love it, then work on change. But if you try to bypass those two first, mm, a lot of resentment and a lot of fail attempts. A lot of, you know, oh, I'm not doing my diet right. I'm not sleeping well. Like a lot of dead-end questions. So one thing that I think we wanted to return to was the role that someone can take as an individual to pursue optimal health. So a bio-individual approach to peak performance. What are some of the tools that you have used to take that individualized approach to your personal performance? Well, curiosity. Okay. First of all, curiosity to, I think 
And I think that we, everyone listening could relate to this. I think we always have like an idea of what we should be doing for that peak performance. And oftentimes we're wrong. Oftentimes we need more information. Oftentimes like we are not seeing the clear picture, like we're biased by our experience. So first of all, curiosity, because if you want to pursue peak performance, you will need to be learning a lot and you will need to, in retrospective, now I see it, like we all have four bodies, like we have our physical body, our mental body, our spiritual body, and our energetic body. You need all those four dancing in synergy to achieve that peak performance. And well, if you are a very, you know, dogmatic person and let's say your relationship with Jesus is not the best and you're all set out that Jesus is the only way, but you have no relationship to the divine because Jesus is not ringing for you and you're still, you know, closed out to that, you're not going to achieve peak, peak performance because you need a solid relationship with the divine right. to have a peak performance. And if Jesus is not cutting out for you, you need curiosity to seek around other spiritual avenues. So it's, like, it's like an open curiosity. Open curiosity, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, no, no judgment to what you want to try. For example, when I speak about my mental health and the gazillion of psychedelic journeys that are involved with, a lot of people say like, eh, aren't you like seeking a high end? Like, you know, a lot of people have judgment right. over that. And I'll tell you that I've taken psychedelics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been but, very therapeutic for my personal growth, peak performance. And in fact, that open curiosity that I went into, you know, with, the, with that experience, the intention was to be open and, right. and curious. And that's how I managed to achieve sort of that alignment between those four pillars of optimal health, so to speak, exactly. between mind, body, spirit, and energy. So I understand why there's a stigma around psychedelics and getting high. But I think that for people, yeah, but I think that for people that are looking for optimal performance, it's the ultimate medicine in that it allows us to retrace our life history, even apply some positive reframing of previous life experiences, deriving the lessons from them, applying them to the present moment, or at least helping us gain a clear understanding of the present moment to perform optimally in that moment and for the future as we train for future performance events. That's it. So that's, that's what I'm taking away from <laughs> it. It seems like you have as well. Yeah. And so I invite people who are looking for to optimize to engage in this sort of self-reflection and to be open to therapies such as psychedelics or having a good coach or simply being curious, open yeah. and curious. Yeah. Your own body is... You know, Anthony Bourdain said it, an amusement park. <laughs> May he rest yeah. in peace. May he rest in peace. But, you know, honoring that teaching of Bourdain, if you really want to treat your body as an amusement park, you have to be curious and you have to push it to limits. And what are some other tools that you've used beyond curiosity, beyond having that sort of mindset? If there's any maybe physical tools that you've used or supplements that you've taken or foods that you've eaten or places well, you've traveled? Uh, something a little more tangible for people. Supplements, I have a personalized approach. My doctor, Victoria Felker, it's a co combination of, you know, precise minerals and electrolytes for my sweat rate that, you know, we decided which supplements we were going to take after a blood test. I'm currently a drug-free person, like, you know, the banned, banned substance. As far as tool that... Mm, well, you use the whoop. <laughs> I, I use the whoop, yeah. That's the thing, because I finished the prep without the whoop. Yeah, but okay. The, 
Yeah, in the curiosity to learn the data, I actually started using training data as my first motivator. Okay. And you know, I used to like get happy pills of like, oh, I slept better. Yeah. Like, I have better, better but resting. Then when you don't rate. sleep well, it gets in your head and you're like, how am I going to approach my regimented training? Yeah, but uh, like the motivator of having good numbers, it was like, yeah. okay, yesterday you did things yeah. right. So you keep see the formula. Positive, keep the formula. You see like positive trends and then from there, like reinforcing some of the exactly. habits. Okay. As I saw, you know, positive readings reinforce the habit, the habits that yield that positive reading. Right. And always, you know, reflect like, what could I have done better to have like a half an hour better sleep? Like my respiratory rate overnight and on how to train myself to breathe less, uh, you know, breathe more calmly overnight and yoga nidras, mm-hmm. what I, I started using before sleeping mm-hmm. to slow down. And I think that for someone with your level of curiosity and appreciation for science, I think you deserve to wear the most clinically validated wearable device on the market. Just the biostrap. Okay. <laughs> because uh, here's the thing that I see between whoop and biostrap, the main difference being, although the, the new whoop device is, is a really good device because they the have 4.0? now, I think they now have the red light. Okay. But previous, uh, were you using the 3.0? No. Yeah, yeah. I was using the... Uh, okay. So like when you take green light versus red light, the difference is in penetration because red light penetrates up to 10 times deeper. Okay. Down to the arterial level. So you can actually measure things like heart variability and oxygen a lot more accurately from there, give yourself better and more accurate insights for sleep and recovery. I'll put it this way. There's an analogy that I use sometimes, and it's like, imagine you're walking through like a neighborhood and you're looking to go to like a party late at night and you hear that there's a few houses where you can kind of hear that there's music going, right? And you walk up to a house, front door, and you knock on the door and no one answers the door, but you can hear inside that everyone's having a really good time. And you tell your friends like, hey, that's a pretty good party, right? But you can't get in. That's green light. Okay. Red light is you know that there's a good party. You knock on the door and it lets you in the party. Now you can enjoy the party. That's the, that's the way that I would okay. describe the differences <laughs> in the two. And I think you would appreciate having the technology capable of measuring your physiology in depth to optimize your performance. But what are some other tools that you've used as far as nutrition? I know that you mentioned, for example... And I know that this is a super, I don't want to get too elaborate with nutrition okay. because I do want people to have the curiosity to go and do this on their own individual level. And I yeah. understand your approach is completely individualized. Um, and if any normal person started consuming as much carbohydrate as you consume as oh. an athlete, they would develop diabetes in like a week. So, uh, Which I, uh, right now that I'm not in full Ironman prep, I'm yeah. struggling a bit to not like... Uh, you know, the portion size that I was eating in Ironman yeah. prep was a fun portion yeah. size to eat. How many calories are you burning with the Ironman? You in Ironman prep, minimum of 4,500 a day. Yeah. Like, that was the average. That's what you were burning. And so then you, you combine that with, like, your resting metabolic yeah. rate. It's, like, 6,000 calories, 6,500 calories. Yeah, like, two sessions a day of at least one hour each, anything from 600 to 800 calories per session. Yeah, three times a week, a yoga, mobility work, a gym, and that's how it starts adding up. Um, of course, on track days, the weekends, the long rides, yeah. long runs. There's long rides that you burn in the ride alone, 5,000. Did you wear a glucose monitor at all? No, but I'm super curious to get You know one. the Super Sapiens? Yeah, yeah, but they're not selling in US. Okay, they're not selling it, but let me tell you something. I don't know if I'm allowed to share this or not. I think I am. I have a client that's actually a super high-level cycling athlete, and he wanted to get a Super Sapiens device, which is a blood glucose monitor for endurance athletes, super high-tech. 
And what I did was one of the guys that works with me in Neuer Physio, he was a previous employee of Super Sapiens. He lives in Germany. So we ordered it to his place in Germany and then he sent it to us. Oh. And then, but to set it up in the app store, you have to set up your Apple like ID mm-hmm. so that it's in Europe. Okay. So we had to confirm it with my friend's phone number in Germany, switch up all his Apple settings, finally download the app, integrate the two. But let me tell you something. It is such an insane hack because now his Garmin has his blood glucose. His Garmin computer yeah, 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 displays yeah. blood glucose. Them, and then there's so much good content built into the app because it shows you, you know, if you're doing like an endurance ride or a really fast high performance ride, you know, where should your blood glucose levels be? How much carbs should you consume? Oh, wow. So now we've built that into, and now what we do is, you know, I monitor his HRV and his sleep I as well. So now we, going yeah, now what we do is to keep them up, op- keep them optimized. And on top of that, he has certain health and wellness goals. He wants to lose some extra weight around his midsection. He wants to revert likelihood of some diseases that he has a predisposition for. So there's a number of things I have to consider. But then he, what we do is we cross-reference his biometrics, like his HRV, with his blood glucose, with his wattage, with his cadence. And I get all this insane amount of data wow. and there help him take the steps towards optimal health, which is a lot of work, but it's insane how much this device, the super saving device, like clears up the air for us. I mean, it's, if you know your blood glucose levels, you know exactly when you need to eat, how you need to eat, how yeah. to keep your insulin sensitivity high, but also your performance super high, how to optimize your sleep because when you have high blood glucose levels, you can't really sleep properly. It's like insane. It's hmm. an insane device. You would love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's one here in the US, I think too. Abbott, free, I think. Yeah. So, so the Abbott Freestyle Libre. Uh-huh. So believe it or not, Super Sapiens actually partnered with them. So the device is Freestyle Libre. Okay. But it doesn't have the patches for sport and it doesn't uh, integrate with the app. Well, we're going to have yeah. to get a, a, yeah. a German friend to send yeah, it. Yeah. I can, I can probably make it happen. Let's yeah. make it happen. Let's <laughs> My friend. Because right. something that, well, going back to Ironman and the yeah. importance of blood glucose, uh, compared to my training, and race day. Yeah. All my training, I was yellowing my nutrition intake. I was just sipping from my nutrition whenever I felt like it. Mm-hmm. That created a lot of inconsistencies in my training. And that's something that I, I like, oh, that's getting improved for next prep. Mm-hmm. My inconsistencies drinking from my bottles during my prep produced me, you know, walls, a, yep. like, Every weekend that I was riding a hundred miles, I was hitting the wall in mile 70, hitting the wall in my 80, hitting the wall in mile 60, whatever. For race day, I put the Garmin alarm to remind me to drink every four miles. And wow. I stay disciplined, like no matter fucking what, I was going to take the same size of sip mm-hmm. because, well, it's a flat course mm-hmm. and no reason to, but right. Change your... And what did you have? What kind of solution did you have in the drink? Was it Mar- water? Uh, no, brand called Martin. It was a... I was consuming 45... No, 90 grams of car- carbohydrates per hour and 1,200 milligrams of sodium per hour. Okay. And yeah, every four miles, sipping the same exact size, I hit no wall in my 112 yeah. miles. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Amazing. That's the key. Precise consistency in your intake. Yeah. I learned that in race day. Mm-hmm. Because on my training, I was just doing it out of field. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And now with this device that can even make it more precise. I mean, imagine if you now you apply that approach towards all your training and now you're super comfortable when you come to the Exactly. Race like day. How much, like... 
at the end of the day, those little bricks start adding up. Like you know, the improvement, a workout that you hit no wall and you kept consistency through the whole 100 miles is going to yield a lot more benefit than a workout that you had to stop in mile 70 because everything was cramping up and you had to, you know, desperately rush some sugars in and you ended up taking a half an hour break, uh, getting like, no. Yeah. Like the improvement that you're going to get from doing, attaining that level of perfection, <laughs> it's a lot bigger. And think about the kind of thing that this teaches you about life. It's like, if you want to perform in any aspect of your life, the training for that level of performance should match as closely as possible the peak performance event that's expected, right? It's like maintaining that sort of consistency yeah. with other events in your life as well. And that kind of approach of like, you want it to be perfect, I mean, but also with a certain level of, you know, compassion, flexibility so that... Yeah, no, that's a big takeaway from race. Like, I start reading my workouts kind of like a mini race day, like with that level of attention. Yeah. That's something that I personally have a lot of room for improvement. Like if I start putting more attention in my workouts, yeah, things are going to get way better. And what are your, you know, what are some of the next steps that you're taking now, or at least looking forward to, to continue to optimize your recovery, so to speak? Do you feel like you've gotten your sleep down hundred percent, your supplement regimen down? You know, what are the next well, steps? Lately, I've been... Averaging anything between seven to eight hours and a half. Sleep. sleep. You're sleeping sleep. those hours. Yeah. Wow. It's solid wow. REM, solid deep. Wow. Like, well, it, that's, it, that's big. Yeah. The advantages of a clear conscience. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Are there any, let's say, final thoughts that you have for the audience? People that want to appreciate this from an athletic perspective as much as you know, a day-to-day perspective. What are some final thoughts that you want to share? I'd love to yeah, continue uh, to pick up the conversation. But yeah, no, but I like nothing can be taken for granted and nothing it's truly ever fully earned. Like we don't own anything. Like neither our health, our mindset, nothing is permanent. Like, so when we notice things that work for us and yield that benefit, Find a way to remember it. Journal, make videos, post on Instagram, whatever. So it's like a Pareto's law. Yeah. Like an 80-20 principle to the things that work in your personal well-being, lifestyle. Exactly. Focusing like, and then... and Yeah. And not... Even if things are okay, good, or, you know, if you feel a curiosity that something is pushing you to something that you don't even know if it's going to be better... Follow that curiosity. Like, that's your intuition talking. And things can always get better if you open your heart for it. There we go. That's it. Luis, what a pleasure. My pleasure. It was awesome. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. So that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For all of the show notes, including clickable links to anything and everything that we discussed today, everything from discount codes to videos to research articles, books, tips, tricks, techniques, and of course, to learn more about the guest on today's episode, all you have to do is head to my website, andresprechel.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-S-P-R-E-S-C-H-E-L.com and go to podcasts. You can also leave your feedback, questions, and suggestions for future episodes, future guests, so on and so forth. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next one. Have a lovely rest of your day.